0: Psalm 24, this will be the last psalm in our uh, summer series as we've been working through the Psalms together. Um, and, uh, and I think it's an appropriate place for us to end, uh, turning our focus on the Lord. That's what we need. Um, it has been a, a, a tiresome year this week, just another great example. I don't know how you felt when the news came down and masks are coming back. For me, it was a bit of a kick in the gut. Uh, I don't want to go there again. Um, I think we all had hoped this would be behind us and done with, and it's clearly not over yet. But that isn't all, and there's just so many things, so many frustrations, disappointments, fears, uncertainty, anxiety. There's fear of the pandemic. There's fear of government tyranny. There's the, the moral decline of our society and this kind of mounting pressure against anyone who will stand for what's right and true. Now there's unrest and Afghanistan and a pending election, and it just seems like one thing after another, and on top of that, all of our personal lives are filled with frustrating, stressful relationships or illness in ourselves or those that we love. It's all around us. I made the case back in June as we started into the Psalms, that the overarching theme of the book of Psalms is how to be blessed, How to know God's blessing His. Joy, fulfillment, happiness. And and as we look at the Psalms, um, they they serve us as this model for for prayer and for worship. As we seek to engage with God and and wrestle with God over the the pain and the suffering of this world to try to understand how to to come to that place of being blessed in Him in the midst of this, Um, the Psalms don't hold back. Um, They don't pretend like everything's okay. It's not life down the garden path, they, they, they deal with real issues and struggles. They don't discount or make light of human emotions and the wrestling that we go through. And yet it's always done in a way that honors the Lord, a way that keeps him in his proper place. Always a way that is instructive for us, helpful as, as we try to wrestle through this broken world and seek the Lord's blessing in the midst of the, the chaos and the pain and the frustration of this life. And so um, as I read Psalm 24 this week and, and was contemplating it, um, the one other passage that consistently came to my mind is Isaiah 26 3, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, who trusts in you. Um, so the, the Lord, the God of the universe is promising here to, to keep in perfect peace, those whose minds are set on him, who are stayed on him. How's your peace this morning? How are your anxiety levels? Are you worried? Are you frustrated? Are you worked up and anxious? Or do you have peace? Dare I say, perfect peace. Now, it's not to deny that we live in a, a crazy world, Scary things going on. I'm not, I'm not saying we should just avoid thinking about those things. Don't look at those things. That's, that's not the point. But listen, the, the degree to which those things shake our peace, the degree to the which we get worked up and agitated, the deg- degree to which those things dominate our, our thoughts and our, and our emotions and our conversations is the degree to which our eyes have been taken off the Lord. Because he's not shaken. He's not threatened by any of this. His kingdom is not in jeopardy here. Not at all. Unmoved. So as I talked to someone just last week, saying if, I, if we go back to lockdowns, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to lose it. I can't handle it. I can't go back there. Really, Christian? That's it? That's the, that's the line for you? That's as far. That's too much for me to handle? Your eyes aren't on the Lord. Your eyes are not on the Lord. How many saints in the past have walked to their burning at the stake, singing, worshiping at perfect peace, their eyes fixed on the Lord. And I get in a fender bender and that's it. It's too much. I can't handle it. So that's what we want to take our time to do this morning. Just to, to push those things aside, whatever those things are for you, whatever it is that's trespassing in your heart, that's, that's encroaching on your peace, peel our eyes off of those things and put them where they should be, stayed fixed, focused on the Lord and who He is. So let me read Psalm 24 uh, for us, and then, uh, and then we'll jump into it. Psalm 24, starting in verse 1 The earth He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Would you pray with me? Father, you know our hearts. You know our weakness. We are so easily shaken. We are so easily focused on the things of this world. God, take this time now. Set our eyes on you again. Refocus our hearts. Restore our peace as we look to you. God, I pray that you would be at work in me now as I seek to to proclaim your truth faithfully. God, would you let my words be true? If there's anything I've thought or prepared that is not of you, that is not of your word, God, let those words fall to the ground. God, be at work in all of our hearts as we come together under your word. God, would you encourage us, would you um, build us up, would you help us to see more clearly today than ever before um, your glory and your majesty, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Looking at Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2, I think the first thing we see here, as we look at the Lord, we, we ought to respect him as sovereign. Respect him as sovereign. The earth is the Lord's. It belongs to him. And not just the earth, but the the fullness thereof. Everything in the earth is his. And then he pushes that one step further. Not just everything in the earth, but the world and those who dwell therein. Every person on the earth. As humans... We, we get pretty high on ourselves, um, our own personal freedoms, our individual rights, my autonomy. We, we set up kingdoms and authority structures. We try to rule those around us, whether we're a king or a father. We, we, we want to have control. We want to rule. But the truth is, you don't even own your own self. The earth and everything in it and every one in it belongs to him. It's his. And why? How does he have this, this claim? What what right does he have to make this claim of ownership? Well, because he made it. He founded it upon the seas. He established it upon the rivers. He's, he's speaking particularly about the, the habitable land of the earth. And he's saying um, God put it there. The land itself and everything on it belongs to him because he created it and the one who creates it owns it now a group of scientists got together finally uncovered the secret of of creating life and they went up to God and said look God we are as smart as you we are as powerful as you we've got this figured out we have figured out how to make life out of dust just like you did God said oh that's interesting show me so the scientists reached down and scooped up a handful of dirt and God said no 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 Get your own dirt, right? Everything we've ever done as humans is just reorganizing what God has created, right? It's just just forming and reshaping what he has put there. As we learn about the, the properties of different things in this world and how they interact and we, we make these amazing discoveries and, and every time we think we've, we've found something so astounding or we've, we've made something that's so amazing, God's sitting back going, oh, you finally figured that one out, did you? I mean, there's so much more, but yeah, that's pretty neat. Good for you. And, and even those things, we only come to that on the intelligence and the understanding that, that he gave us because he made us We have no true autonomy. We have no authority. There's nothing that we've made that belongs to us now. It's all from God, including our very selves. So even, the, even the rulers of this world, the mightiest of kings. Romans 13.1 tells us there is no authority except that which is from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. All authority is merely a borrowed authority. God is still over it. He has given it. He is governing it. As this world feels like it's spinning out of control, immorality and and evil is is broadly accepted now, even being legislated by governments, God's still in control. He's still sovereign. He is still standing above all of it. He created the earth and everything in it, it's his and he's, he's over it. Proverbs 21.1, the the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. Look at Isaiah 40. Listen to the way the Lord speaks of the the rulers of this world. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of this earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely are they sown, scarcely has their stem taken root on the earth that he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. God's not threatened. He's not challenged. Um, Psalm 2. If you want to flip back a handful of pages, listen how the Lord Speaks of the rulers of this world. Psalm 2, verse 1 Why do the nations rage? The people's plot in vain. The kings of this earth set themselves up. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their courts from us. Isn't that today? The rulers get together and say, We don't need God. We're going to put all that God stuff away. We rule now. Listen to the Lord's response. He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The day will come when the Lord will stand up and go, no. Now you thought you were mighty and powerful, and he will terrify them in his wrath. The great kings of this world will piddle a little bit as they shake before him. He's sovereign. He's over it all. Listen to the words of Jesus. In the face of his own crucifixion, Pilate is standing there. Pilate said to him, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you by the Father. Sure, crucify me. But but you have no authority. God is over all. All of this. He's over it all. And that includes government powers, but it also includes each of us. It also means that you are not an independent, autonomous, self governing person. God made you, and He owns you. You're His. Now, that truth is simultaneously as offensive and contemptible to the proud as it is comforting and uplifting to the humble. You want to know the blessing of the Lord? You want to have joy in Him? Humble yourself before the Lord. Give up on trying to rule yourself, trying to fight with Him over authority. Lay down this illusion of your own rights, your own personal autonomy, and and accept His authority. Resist the temptation in that to think that you're doing God some favor, right by bending your will to him, oh God, look how how much i 'm giving you, no no, He already owned you you 're just recognizing what has been true, and rest in the fact this whole world is in the same position. there are so many who refuse to acknowledge his. Ownership, who insist on being their own authority or even imposing their authority on others, but there is ultimately only one authority. Respect him as sovereign. Secondly, revere him as holy. Revere him as holy. Look at verses three and four. Let me read them for us. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. This is the the inevitable outcome of verses 1 and 2. The Lord has made the earth and he made us and we're his and yet we don't act like it. We don't live that out. We live as if we are our own. We don't follow his laws in humility. We decide to make our own laws, to go our own way. We decide what's right. And it's not even just about obedience. It's also about honor. We don't give him the honor, the, the worship that he deserves. We, we think and live and act and plan for our own glory, for our own honor. It's interesting, um, 1 Corinthians 10, 26, Paul actually quotes Psalm 24, the, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. And he makes three applications um, off of that statement. So, this is Paul's sermon on Psalm 24, verse 1. Um, the first two are, are pretty specific to the issues that he's dealing with in Corinth. Uh, he says, Because the earth is the Lord's, all food is acceptable to eat, even that which has been um, sacrificed to supposed false gods. And he says, No, but, but it's the Lord's still, and it's okay. Second, that we ought to be considerate of the weaker brothers. If someone's going to be offended by my eating that meat, I I should not act as if I am the authority, as if I have the right. No, under the Lord, I should submit and be considerate of the weaker brothers. The third application he makes is a a broad and general application, a verse that many of us, I think, probably know by heart all on its own. It's 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. The the so there is, is pointing back to Psalm 24. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, therefore, everything you do, eating, drinking, he's talking about the most minute, day in, day out kinds of things, do it to the glory of God because he deserves it, because he owns you, because he's sovereign. That's what he rightly deserves. And, and we fall so short of that. That raises the question in David's mind then, who could possibly ascend the hill of the Lord? Notice he is high and lifted up. We are lowly and small. Who could ever climb up to him? Who could be in God's presence? And the, the, the second part of verse, uh, verse 3 there, who shall stand in his holy place? To stand um, means to to stand your ground. Who can can continue on there in front of his holiness? Now, this is tragic. The story of the Bible begins in the presence of God. That's the climax of the, the Garden of Eden, that they had relationship with the Father. They walked with him in the cool of the day. And once they sinned, once they rebelled against his authority, eating that fruit that he commanded them not to eat, They were cast out of the garden. They had decided, no, I will be God. I will will put out my own authority and I will decide what's right and wrong. And God cast them out, out of his presence. Tragic as that is, it was an act of mercy because God is holy. He he is the very embodiment of of justice. Sin is, is an abomination to him. He will not tolerate it. He cannot tolerate it. Deuteronomy 4, 24, Moses is warning the people of Israel against their worship of false gods and idols. And, and he says, be careful, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. these are terrifying words. You ever stuck your hand into a roaring fire? I'll bet not for very long. That's, that's his picture. That's Moses' description of what the presence of God is like for a sinner, for something that is unholy to be in the presence of perfect holiness. Verse four tells us who can stand in his holy place. Well, the one that is holy, the one that has clean hands and a pure heart. And then in Typical kind of Hebrew poetry fashion, Uh, he repeats himself in different words. He first said it in the positive, clean hands and a pure heart. Then he says it in the negative, the one who doesn't lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So to lift up your soul is to entrust yourself to to worship, to, to give yourself to. Psalm 25, the very next psalm, opens up with, with David saying, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. So those who trust in and, and seek after, give themselves to what is false, they will not stand in the presence of the Lord. In, in David's day, that might have looked like literal idol worship, false gods, um, But that's no less true of those who give themselves today running after worldly things. Fulfillment in comfort, in alcohol, in cars, in sports, in Netflix, in self-indulgence. Instead of seeking after and trusting the Lord as our joy, um, we go running everywhere else. In Paul's words, Romans 1.25 We worship and serve created things rather than the creator. David deliberately speaks here both of inner and outer purity. The hands and the heart or the soul and the lips. Um, There are those who so quickly say, I don't always do the right thing. My, my outward acts aren't always good, but my heart is in a good place. I'm sincere. My my heart is pure. It just I just don't always do the right thing. I don't have that, that outward morality, but I have faith. James 2.14. James asked the question, What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can such a faith save him? And his answer is a resounding no. No, it cannot. He goes on in verse 18 to say, But someone will say to me, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. He's saying true faith, a true inner purity shows itself outwardly. It makes its way out. On the other hand, there are those who would say, look at my works. Look, I go to church and I see me donating money, see me standing up and and praying out loud so everyone can hear, see me helping people. Look at all these outward things that I do, but their heart's not pure. They're they're filled with selfish ambition and, and pride. They're not doing it for the glory of God like the Pharisees of whom Jesus said, Matthew 23, 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside is full of greed and self-indulgence. Outward morality and inward religion of the heart. If they're, if they're separated from one another, they're meaningless. It must be both. Purity of hands and the heart. Revere God as Holy. Understand the only person that could ever ascend to him. Who could ever stand in his presence is the one who is himself holy. And to those who are not. He's like a consuming fire. He is dreadful and terrifying. He will cast them out into hell. Into judgment. And you say, well, what right does he have to do that? How can he judge me? Well, he made you. You're his. Now you might be thinking, I thought this was supposed to give me peace. This is not very peace giving. Um, this is causing me more anxiety. I thought fixing my eyes on him would help. This is stressful. You're right. But at least now you're worried about the right things. At least now you're, you're, you're worried about something that matters. Listen. Let me just throw a couple of verses at you here. John 16 33, Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulation. Job 14 1 and 2. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. Second Timothy 3 1. Understand this in the last days there will come times of difficulty verse 13 Well, evil people and imposters Will go from bad to worse Deceiving and being deceived 1 Peter four twelve. Beloved do not be surprised At the fiery trial When it comes upon you to test you As though something strange were happening to you You get the picture? Life will be hard It's going to happen It will be fraught with, with trials And fires and difficulty Spoiler alert Nobody makes it out alive, right? Unless Jesus returns, 100 out of 100 of us are going to die. Why are we so surprised by that? Stop wringing your hands and wondering, oh, maybe things are going to get worse. I don't like where this is going. It's going to get bad. Maybe it will. No, it will. It is bad and it's getting worse. The question is not, will you die? The question is, what will you find when you get there? Hebrews 9 27, just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. You will be in the presence of the Holy God. Will you stand? Yeah, this life will be difficult, and there will be trials, and evil people will go from bad to worse, and wicked, corrupt governments will do wicked and corrupt things, and diseases will come and go. And then you will stand before the Holy God. That's the question that is worth being troubled over. That's where verses 5 and 6 then come to our rescue. We must respect him as sovereign. We must revere him as holy. And then we must rest in him as savior. We read starting in verse 5. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness From the God of his salvation, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. God is not only our judge, he is also our savior. He is not only holy and terrifying, he is also merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So to those who lift up their souls to what is false, those who are running after the things of this world, pushing around their own authority, trying to live their own way, they will be judged. They will face his fierce wrath. Notice the contrast here between the two. Those who lift up their soul to what is false compared to those who seek after the Lord. The one who has Clean hands that's springing out of a pure heart because they're genuinely seeking the Lord. He will receive blessing from the Lord, the Lord's goodness, his kindness, his grace. He will receive righteousness from God, his Savior. Now that tells us something. He receives righteousness from God, who is his Savior. He's not perfect. He doesn't stand before the Lord because he is fully righteous but rather the one who genuinely seeks after the Lord will receive righteousness from God who saves him. Job 9.30, Job is wrestling with this very question, his own sinfulness before the Lord. Job 9.30-33, to he says, If I wash myself with snow, the, the cleanest thing he can envision, if I cleanse my hands with lye, the most harshest soap cleaning detergent that he can come up with. Then he says to God, yet you will plunge me into the pit. My own clothes will abhor me. For he, that's God, is not a man as I am that I might answer him, that we should come together to trial. There's no arbiter between us who might lay a hand on on us both. He said, there's no human thing I can do. There's no way I can get rid of this stain of my sin. My my hands are filthy, and there's no way for me to get rid of my guilt. And God is too holy. He's too pure. How can I even come to the same room as him to plead my case? Who is there that can come and put a hand on me and a hand on God and say, okay, let's work this out? It's not going to happen. Who could possibly act as a mediator between God and man and, of course, The answer is Jesus. Who can mediate between God and man? How about the man who is himself God? He's the answer. He's the answer to the question, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? Jesus can. He can because his hands are perfectly clean. His heart is completely pure. He is holy as God is holy because he's God. David is writing this a thousand years before Jesus. He doesn't know exactly how God's going to bring this about. But he knew the promises. He knew that God would give righteousness to those who sought him. He knew that he would save them from their sin. Now after Jesus has come, looking back, we we kind of have the rest of the picture painted in for us. Job says, How can I wash myself? How can I remove my sin? How does this work? This is impossible. Now, listen to Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 11. Do you not know? The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, unrighteous, that's us. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's sinners. They will be cast out into judgment. But listen to this. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Soap's not going to do it, right? It's not going to work. Snow's not going to work. There's one thing that washes the stain of sin. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. God gives us righteousness, not not by what we have done, but by the death of Jesus Christ in our place. Seek after him with a, a pure heart and clean hands and resting in him as God our Savior. No matter what this world throws at us, no matter what's coming around the bend, what trials may come, our sin before a holy God is our biggest problem by a factor of 10,000. And Jesus is the answer, the only answer, and, and the glorious, complete, and sure answer. And if, if that question is settled, if we know that, that in Christ we too shall ascend the hill of the Lord, shall stand in his holy place, covered in his righteousness, washed in his blood, we can face anything. This world becomes so insignificant. Romans 8:18, 8, Paul says, I consider the suffering of this present time, and all oh, Paul knew suffering. The present the suffering of this present time. Are not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed. It's pale, weak comparison. A couple of years ago, my wife and I were blessed with a a trip to um, Dominican Republic. Um, all expenses covered. Once we got there, and uh, and so, um, man, we we were so excited. But the flight there—I don't know if you've ever tried to fly to the Dominican Republic—but um, it was miserable. I mean, we we were crammed on and split up into this. Terrible little plane. And then we landed in Montreal um, at like, I don't know, midnight. And our flight didn't leave till I think four the next morning. And Montreal is the only airport that I know of that kicks everyone out. You, You can't stay in the gate area where the seats are. You have to go out of security. And so we're spending our night with 150 people trying to sleep on our luggage on the floor out in the front doorway of the airport. I didn't care. It's okay. I'm going to the Dominican Republic. I don't need to sleep here. I'm going to sleep on the beach tomorrow. I'm going to be pulling up to the buffet. and, and like the, the destination makes the trip worth it. I, I'm not too bothered if I know where I'm going. We need to rest in Him as Savior to know what lies ahead. And if, if my sin is covered, if my eternity is secure, then, then, hey, bring some bumps along the road. We need to respect Him as sovereign. We need to revere Him as holy. Rest in Him as Savior. And then finally, the the climax of this passage, rejoice in him as conqueror. Listen to verses 7 to 10. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory, the Lord of hosts? He is the King of glory. Uh, The picture here is a a mighty king returning victorious from battle. And the cry goes out as he approaches the city Open the doors, fling the gates wide, our hero has come back, let him in. Many have tried to fit this verse into the historical context of Israel, but, but there's nothing this grand. There's nothing this big. Verse 7 talks about these these gates that are to be opened and they're they're ancient doors. The better translation might be everlasting doors. There are no everlasting doors in Israel. There's no everlasting doors in this world. This is a, a picture of heaven and the heavenly celebration. And notice who is it that is returning from battle. He's called the king of glory. What a title. For emphasis, and just to kind of heap worship upon worship, the, the question is asked twice, who is this King of Glory? Like, tell me again. It's the Lord. Lord, there you'll notice, all caps. We've talked about this a few times. That's, that's Yahweh. I wish they would just translate it Yahweh. That's His personal name, the I Am. Strong and mighty. Yahweh, mighty in battle. In verse 10, again, who is this king of glory? Yahweh of hosts. The, uh, the hosts there speaks of of armies. Have you ever wondered as we're singing um, that great hymn by Martin Luther, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God? And there's that one line in, in verse 2, Lord Sabaoth, his name from age to age the same. And you're like, I don't even know what I'm saying here. Um, that's it. You're just speaking Hebrew. Um, it, it means Lord of hosts. Yahweh Sabaoth, the God over armies. It speaks of his indomitable strength, his unparalleled power, his conquering of all of his enemies. I love this because this happens so often as you read through scripture. Here in the Old Testament, these words are clearly speaking of Yahweh, the I am. It is, it's not disputed. This is God himself. But as we get into further revelation in the New Testament, and we begin to ask again, who's that king of glory? Can you, more specific, who exactly are we talking about? James 2.1 says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord or King of glory. 1 Corinthians 2.8, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory with all the angels or hosts with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Who is it that sits on a glorious throne surrounded by armies of angels? It is the Lord of glory. It is the Lord of hosts. The King of glory, the Lord of hosts. Yeah, his name is Yahweh. His name is also Jesus. What has he conquered? Everything. Everything, every worldly and spiritual authority conquered. Philippians 2, 10. So the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Every authority, heaven, earth, under the earth, all of it, spiritual, physical, doesn't matter. He will conquer They will bend to him. But most significant for us, he has beaten and will fully conquer our greatest enemy of death and hell. Our sin will be conquered. He's already won the the crucial battle. He's already dealt out the, the decisive blow in this war by his death in our place and through his resurrection from the dead, death was defeated. 2 Timothy 1.10, that now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Revelation 1, 17 and 18, Jesus says, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. By his death in our place and his resurrection from the grave, Jesus conquered our ancient enemy. He defeated our greatest foe, the consequences of our sin. And one day when he returns, he's going to finish that victory. He will bring it to completion. He will destroy every enemy, every unbent knee, every rebellious sinner, cast into hell, and after that he will defeat Death itself. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 26, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father and he has abolished all rule and authority and power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Revelation um, 19 tells this this story of this final day. We have this, this picture of, of the conquering king. Here's the, the king of glory. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse and one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, as many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh are written a name King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the King of glory. There he is, mighty in battle, the Lord of hosts come to destroy all his enemies. And Again, those who have not trusted in him, those who have not sought the Lord as their Savior will be cast into hell. But as the dust settles, his chosen saints, those who trusted him, those who sought him, we finally set free from death given immortal uh, incorruptible bodies no longer plagued by sin no longer plagued by pain and suffering and illness and death 1st Corinthians 15 goes on to say down in verses 54 to 57 when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass The saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the fulfillment of what uh, Daniel saw in his vision back in Daniel 7, 14. To him. The son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is it. This is the, that final kingdom, Christ ruling over us. The words that Handel's Messiah memorialized for us, the words of Revelation eleven fifteen. 15 Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. That's what we're waiting for. That's where this this flight is going. That's what lies ahead. It's really there. Do you see it? We get so excited about these trips that we've planned. A week in Mexico or a Disney vacation or, or hunting in Alaska, or whatever floats your boat. And we, we count down the days and, and, and we look forward to it with anticipation. And if, and if we could work is hard the week before, we're like, whatever, let it pile up. I'm out of here. How much more should we look forward to the coming of the Lord? It ought to fill our thoughts. Every trial, every frustration should be seen In light of this future hope that we have. Rejoice in him as conqueror. That day is coming. When all the turmoil and frustration. All the suffering and deceit. All the the pain and hardship and wickedness and despair. Gone. Death. Disease. Decay. Conquered. My sinful nature with which I continue to battle and fight. Wiped out. Gone. Gone. And Christ, Jesus the Lord, reigning over us. That's what we're looking forward to. That's why Jesus said, John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, uh, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you to myself that where I am you may be also. John sixteen I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Fix your eyes on him, church. How's your anxiety this morning? What are you fearful of? It's passing. It's insignificant. He is not shaken. His kingdom is not shaken, and the future is sure. Seek him. Trust him. Fix your eyes on him him, respect him as sovereign, revere him as holy, rest in him as savior, and rejoice in him as conqueror. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord.